Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. Parts of New York City getting ready for the unprecedented arraignment of former President Donald Trump. Lots of places already under tight security, including Trump's own Trump Tower, the motorcade route, and the Manhattan Criminal Court, where we're told cameras will be allowed to capture the former president's walk into the courtroom. So what's the timeline here? When will a trial actually get underway? We'll find out. And the woman at the center of the case says she's getting death threats. Stormy Daniels says she fears for her own safety. The first time it was like, gold digger, slut, whore, you know, liar, whatever. And this time it's like, I'm going to murder you. Plus, we'll tell you what happened during jury deliberations in the Gwyneth Paltrow ski collision trial. Tonight, I'll talk to one of the jurors and find out what convinced her that Paltrow was not guilty. And a new particularly dangerous tornado watch in effect across the South and the Midwest tonight. Millions of people are under threat of severe storms. And make sure you stick around for the end of the show. We've got our Friday night quiz, uh, news quiz for you. You're going to test your knowledge against our panel. Okay, but let's start with how New York City is preparing for Donald Trump's indictment. Here with me tonight, we have former Congressman Mondaire Jones. We also have CNN's top law enforcement expert, John Miller, former Senate candidate, Joe Pinion, and senior legal analyst, Ellie Honig. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being here on this Friday night. Okay, John, I understand that there have already been something like 100 uh, threats so far into the courthouse. How are those coming in? Are those online? What, what does that look like? So there's a, a number of social media platforms, big ones like Twitter, um, but then uh, very specific ones uh, to um, kind of the the most uh, virulent of the Trump followers uh, that talk about, you know, what should be done here. And that's being tracked where in these discussions there were something about 85 of these threats, you know, up at the end of last week, we're way past 100 now, and they've increased in, in kind of numbers and pace. Since how do they the chase the, How do how do police chase those down? So you've got a threat assessment unit. They look at the threat. They look at whatever information they can on the poster, and you know they're very good at determining. Although this is a bit of an art, not a science. Which is, is it a credible threat? Does the person have the ability to carry out the threat? Um, Is it a specific threat or a general threat? And then they bin them. These are threats against the DA. These are threats against the courthouse. These are threats against a witness. Um, And and do that assessment and then send them out to the right agencies to say you need to be aware of this. But um, to balance that, they haven't found um, any number of these threats that they say these are specific, credible threats that we're worried about. But that's why they track them. Okay, and so tell us about how we have now learned that cameras will be able to see the former president in process for some of these things. So there will be a couple of opportunities where you will, you will, if you're covering this, see Donald Trump. Uh, One is his arrival at one Hogan place, the district attorney's office, where he gets out of the car and goes in uh, with a phalanx of people. Uh, And the other is after he's after he's arrested and processed. They will bring him through a warren of back hallways and elevators that are private. Uh, But there will be a time when he emerges into the hallway where that courtroom is located. And there is a short walk from that door to the courtroom door, which will be the second time he's visible. Uh, We are still, um, as a group of news organizations, including CNN, um, weighing in on the court and the Office of Court Administration to allow cameras in the courtroom for the arraignment because... 
the universe of that courtroom is about 80 seats. Um, and this is going to far surpass that in terms of press interest, public interest, security people. So it would be a, a better way to make this a public proceeding. Those are a lot of developments, I think, for today. So, Ellie, uh, the indictment is still under seal, as we know. But the judge has signed off on granting Alvin Bragg, the um, DA, the ability to publicly disclose the indictment. So when will we know what's in there? So, first of all, it'll be interesting to see Donald Trump, the person. I'm interested in the paper. I want, maybe, maybe this makes me a nerd, but I want to see the indictment. The order that came out today allowed Alvin Bragg to acknowledge that this thing exists, to publicly acknowledge, yes, we have an indictment. Yes, it's been filed. That's it. We will see it on Tuesday. I'm going to be looking for a couple things. First of all, there's two kinds of indictments in the world. There's the bare bones indictment, which just says the language of the statute. The defendant, on or about such and such a day, hereby did conspire, combine, confederate, blah, 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 a bunch of legalese. You don't get that much out of that. Then there's what they call a speaking indictment, which is narrative, which has details. So we don't know which one it's going to be. And then the other big thing I'm looking for is, is are these charges constrained to the financing of the Stormy Daniels hush money payment, or is there going to be a surprise in there. That's what I'm looking for. Can we just take one second? John Miller, all week, this guy is a scoop machine. He is a scoop machine. We've also learned that he <laughs> I'll does... I'll pay you later. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't ask me to say that. He's, he's, he's we also have learned you. that he's a lot like Batman. He sleeps in his suit so he can just be ready for action. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing. Or it uh, just looks like I slept in it. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. All right. Uh, Joe, your thoughts about what's going to happen next week? Well, look, uh, start off, I am not an attorney. Uh, But luckily enough, I was waiting in the wings when the senior legal analyst for CNN, this guy sat in that chair. That's the Harvard JD chair, another (laughs) Harvard JD there. And he told us that the theory of the crime, based on the information that we have at our disposal, was either uh, probably flimsy at best, dubious at worst. Uh, That this effort to try to kind of bootstrap his way uh, to some type of felony was probably a bridge to nowhere. So... That's not my opinion. That's the opinion of a Harvard attorney who's paid by CNN. I will say this. Can you corroborate this? Oh, yeah. I know. You're yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Would you have used precisely those terms? Well, I mean, that's, a, that's not quite how I described it. But, but Flimsy I mean, at best. No, no, but I mean, there, there are, let's be real here, there, there are legitimate legal problems with this, with, with the charging theory here that will be challenged very quickly. The evidence is, look, never believe anyone who says anything's a slam dunk. Um, How but do you it, know what debatable. the evidence is? Well, based on what we know, based on based on knowing that Michael Cohen will be important, um, there could be a surprise. But yeah, like this is not going to be an easy case. This is what we call a triable case. Could go either way. I, I would I would love to explore with you some of the, the challenges on this, because we, we do have Michael Cohen, who, who has served time for similar conduct. Again, not the same conduct. Um, I, I mean, it seems like the prosec- the theory, you know, before even seeing the actual indictment, which is going to be un- unsealed on Tuesday, is that they committed these campaign finance violations, which are in and of itself crimes, and then concealed them, which is a crime under New York state law. Is it, w- What's going to be difficult to prove about that? Well, so, so two things. First of all, with the business records, it's the falsification of the business records. It's not the hush money payments. There is plenty of evidence that the person who put together the structure of this deal is Michael Cohen, starting with the tape Michael Cohen made of his own client. By the way, kids, do not tape your own client. That is bizarre behavior. But in that tape, Donald Trump's just saying to Michael Cohen, how are we going to do this? And Michael Cohen says, me and Alan Weisselberg will handle it. So that's going to be a problem. The second part of this, and this is the legal problem, this will be the lead motion that we'll see. And we heard Trump's attorneys today talking about motions. They're going to argue that New York state law 
cannot incorporate a federal election violation race for president. And the law is not good for the prosecution on that. So I'm interested to see if they're going to walk into that and hope they fare well on the appeals courts or if they have some way around it. Does that answer your question? It's not about campaign finance. It's about, it's about um, falsifying the business records, the internal business records. Of co- yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, but, but there's also substantial evidence that Donald Trump knew that the business records were going to be falsified. And so I, I look forward to seeing the, the speaking indictment. Uh, it, it's difficult to believe that Donald Trump didn't know how these payments were going to be reported well, I mean, as, there, as, there's as a legitimate diff- business. There's a different position that goes right to this point, which is, Ellie's point is, you got Michael Cohen, your star witness, who on that tape sounds like he's he's running the whole thing it. and just you know telling Donald like we'll take care of it. The the other point of view would be that Donald Trump is the head of this enterprise that's involved in multiple illegal acts and that this is one of them, and that they are briefing the boss um, as you know here's how we're taking care of this, and he's not saying wait a minute, what do you mean you're going to set up a fake company? What do you mean you're going to He's saying, "Okay, great, take care of it. And at that point, he had known that he certainly hadn't been making those payments and filing them as legitimate campaign expenses at that point. Well, look, I I just think to the point we're not actually going to have most American people look at this and say you hire an attorney, pay them a king's ransom to take care of the dotting of the T's and the crossing of the I's. Then that attorney effectively records it. It doesn't sound like he's trying to keep a record. It sounds like he's trying to have blackmail information uh, on his actual client for whenever he needs to use it. And when you look at the track record of Michael Cohen, uh, if they can't get it kicked on summary judgment, the first thing anyone's probably going to ask is, were you lying then or were you lying now? Did you mean what you said when you put those words down on paper and signed your name to it? Or were you just trying to wink, wink, nod, nod, so that the boss would keep keeping the campaign coffers uh, full on your behalf? Except we're dealing with really? Donald Trump, right? Like a, a career criminal that even Republicans don't doubt there, the criminality. There, there is the phrase, a career criminal, because since day one, people have assumed, again, just a crime syndicate hanging with out much in, the, in the Oval <laughs> Office. So, look, again, I get the point. I just think at the end of the day, it's the, we know he's guilty, doesn't fly in the court, and it certainly is not flying in the court of public. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't, I don't agree with uh, with attributing guilt to anyone without it being proven in court. But I do think that there is enough out there to give. Certainly, the the, the grand jury, having indicted the pres, the well, former president of the United I mean, States, had enough evidence. I find it an enormously, very enormously complicated case because you start off with a defendant who says, "Look, basically, I was being blackmailed by two people. I had to pay them. We made them sign a non-disclosure agreement saying they'd never say anything." They took the money, they violated that, and now you want to put me in jail. So it's, it's not an easy sell. It's going to be complicated. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. I was supposed to wrap you minutes ago, but I was too mesmerized. <laughs> I was too, compa- it was too compelling what you were saying. You thank again. you very much. When we come back, the politics of the Trump indictment, what this means for the 2024 presidential race. Plus, millions of people across the South and the Midwest tonight are dealing with severe storms, tornadoes destroying everything in their path. We'll go there live. Donald Trump's daughter and son-in-law weighing in on his indictment today. In an Instagram story, Ivanka Trump writes, quote, I love my father and I love my country. Today, I am pained for both. I appreciate the voices across the political spectrum expressing support and concern. Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, also speaking out. 
It's very troubling to me to see the leader of the opposition party uh, be indicted. And I think that that shows, obviously, the fear that the Democrats have of Trump and the political strength that he has. And just as a family member, uh, obviously, Ivanka and I uh, love him very much. It's, uh, it's been hard to watch uh, the opponents of him politically continue to break every norm over the last years to try to, uh, to, try to get him. Here with me, former Democratic Congressman Mondaire Jones, CNN political commentator S.E. Cup, Republican strategist Joe Pinion, and former tennis pro and jack-of-all-trades Patrick McEnroe. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for being here. Um, how, is, how are the prosecutors breaking every norm to with this indictment? I mean, I, I don't think it's norm-breaking to simply hold someone accountable who's no longer the president of the United States, so he's no longer sort of you know, immunized from a, from a case being brought against him. I mean, we, we, in fact, had a lot of notice that, that this and so many other things that are even more significant would potentially happen if our justice system were, actually works. And, and so far it is. Look, I, I share the perspective that this is not the strongest case against him. I would much rather the Fulton County DA or uh, Merrick Garland some time ago have brought cases for significantly more serious crimes. But as someone who has had to comply with campaign finance law and is really proud of that compliance, I think we should take this very seriously. Those laws exist for a reason. You know, laws on books and record keeping exist for a reason. So I do resent that some people are trivializing the importance of the indictment. And of course, we haven't even seen it yet. Essie, I want to hear your thoughts, including what you think of what of Ivanka's statement. Well, I, I don't know that we would expect anything other than supportive statements from the kids. I, you know, I get that. But let's be clear. Trump broke all the norms. That's what's happened. And we all in media, in uh, election politics, in, um, you know, the law, we're all adapting and responding to all the norms that Trump broke. Uh, that's not our fault. And it's certainly not the fault of the, you know, New York DA who is responding to alleged crimes. Um, I love that he doesn't care, apparently, um, what the political ramifications may be. In fact, I think he levied these indictments in spite of politics, because if you were really going after a political hit job, you wouldn't start with this one. You'd start with something better bigger. Um, so I like that Alvin Bragg has decided, I don't care that people want to see the perp walk, not giving it to him. And I don't care that Republicans are going to be all outraged and offended and call this a political witch hunt. You know what sounds political? When you call this indictment a political witch hunt, when you haven't seen the charges, that what that's political. Now you're just being a political hack. Would you like to respond to that, Joe? <clears throat> Look, I, I don't, call it a witch hunt, but I do think that, you know, my study buddy has left me, right? But there are plenty of individuals with law degrees who are not Republicans, who are not conservative-leaning, who believe that based on the information that we currently have, uh, that the legal theory is challenging. Yes, sure, yeah. but that's, challenging. Different, than, that's sure. different than it being a political prosecution. Well, I, I think... Personally, if you're talking about the Department of Justice that has declined to file charges, if you're talking about the FEC, which has declined to pursue the bootstrapped version of what is going to proceed here, I think that it makes it very difficult for people not to look at this as a some type of politically motivated theory. And in fact, the poll came out from Quinnipiac, 63% of all Americans believe that this is politically motivated. So again, I just think... But it was that, Trump's DOJ that thought this was a crime in the first place. That's why Michael Cohen I, went to jail. Again, I think at the end of the day... 
I wouldn't read too should, much into what the FEC does because no. they can't turn well, the lights Well, they can't on count anything. <laughs> but I, I just think that at the end of the day, we should let the facts lead where they may. We should actually be able to read the indictment. Totally. We should not actually be having people on either end of the spectrum saying, I know concretely what right. has happened here. But I just think that... Or inciting violence, right. right? But I think it's also disingenuous to simply say that any time a Republican says... I seem to agree that this doesn't pass the sniff test, that they're labeled as crazy. And then when we have actual certified bona fide legal experts echoing some of those same sentiments. Yeah, but I think that that's different. That, that what Ellie was saying was that it might be a thin or a flimsy case is different than it was a political prosecution. But, but hold that we're, thought. We're going that. to find out on Tuesday what's in the indictment. And then we're all going to be able to make, a, I think, a better uh, assessment of where we're going with it. Now, <clears throat> as far as the Jared and Ivanka are concerned, I'm actually surprised we haven't heard from them at all until now. You, you, you're, they were the big players within the White House, and then all of a sudden they sort of went to Florida like, we're out. We're, we're not in there. The other thing I'll say is about Mr. Bragg, Alvin Bragg, who I was lucky enough to actually interview on my own podcast. And what was that like? Three <laughs> years ago. Three years ago. Before, before he was even uh, in the position he's in now. So what were your impressions? My impression was that this guy's buttoned up. I mean, there's absolutely no way, having interviewed him for 27 minutes, I checked how long it was in my podcast, that there's no way that this guy is going down this road unless he's got something. And, and more than what some people are speculating that has, particularly on the Republican side, that, oh, he's got nothing, it's just, you know, paying off a porn star. Something tells me he's got a little bit more. I don't, he doesn't strike me as a guy that's messing around. Well, we ignore the fact that a grand jury has indicted Donald Trump. It's not just Alvin Bragg saying, yeah, right. let's do this. A grand jury indicted him on apparently more than 30 counts. And that Bragg famously declined to, to prosecute Donald Trump for another crime that Mark Pomerantz has written ago. a whole book about yeah. now. So clearly he's not acting politically. I will say in full disclosure, I've known Alvin for over a decade. Oh, the name dropping at this table. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's actually my response. You know, you get in yeah. trouble when you don't disclose yeah, yeah. this kind of stuff. The guy hired me for an internship back when I was in, in law school. You know, he donated $100 to my campaign. I hosted a fundraiser for him. But but separate and apart $100. from that. $100. Wow. Right. Yeah. But, you know, public, public service can't give in the way yeah, that other people that's can. Right. That's every, every little bit counts. But look, I, I know him to be someone who's a very serious person who follows the facts and does not make political decisions. And I, I think we're seeing that play out. And he's Thank getting you. racist death threats. I just want to put that out there. He's getting racist death threats uh, yes. because people yes. have decided this is a political hit job. Yes, I have to go, guys. But a lot of people uh, are sadly getting death threats connected to all of this. All right, we'll talk more about this. But we need to talk about our breaking news. Severe tornadoes are threatening millions of people right now across the South and the Midwest. Nearly two dozen people are hospitalized in Little Rock after a tornado ripped through that city. We're live on the ground next. Millions of people under threat of deadly tornadoes tonight. At least three people are dead, with dozens hospitalized in Arkansas. New video shows a tornado touching down in Wynn, Arkansas, causing significant damage and trapping people inside their homes. Wynn's mayor says the town has basically been cut in half by the damage. Uh, CNN's Derek Van Dam joins us now live from Wynn, Arkansas. So, Derek, describe what you're seeing on the ground there. Well, unfortunately, Allison, we are in that damage path that cut the town of Wynn, Arkansas, in half. It was devastating to come across this scene. Uh, really, as we drove in, we saw ambulances, first responders, emergency vehicles, blue flashing lights, 
We had our phones lighting up with uh, tornado warnings. We heard sirens. It was a very fluid, very dynamic situation. And then we got onto the scene. And uh, what we've seen has been significant, if not catastrophic, destruction. This is just a drop in the bucket in what the town of Wynn, Arkansas, has experienced. This is Wynn High School. Uh, you can see it directly behind me, but I think we'll get a better perspective with this aerial footage, hopefully, that we're showing on air now because this tornado tore through this high school. Thank goodness that this took place after school was let out. You can see the football field has been literally ripped of its turf. I'm gonna take you down to the ground because we were able to go about a quarter mile to my left shoulder into a heavily damaged neighborhood. And some of the homes were literally wiped off of their foundations. One home was completely shifted off of its foundation. We talked to first responders, we talked to some of the search and rescue crew, and they say that it is still ongoing. Uh, as we speak, one woman was saved from the rubble from her home. She's safe in a, in, in a uh, shed with her dogs. Uh, but they have also put green X's on each of the individual homes that they have been going meticulously through one by one to make sure that there are no people trapped inside. And uh, so far, uh, they have rescued a few people and we're hearing about the unfortunate fatalities coming out of Wynn, Arkansas as well. I just want to give you an idea of the damage. Look at what a tornado can do. Uh, this is some sort of metal structure. I mean, this weighs a good 20 to 30 pounds. You can imagine this getting lofted into the air and hitting into the side of the building. There were cars that have obviously been uh, flipped as well from this destruction. A powerful and terrifying moment for the residents here in Wynn, Arkansas. Allison. Okay, Derek, please be careful out there and bring us any updates as soon as you get them. Let's go now to Chad Myers in the CNN Weather Center. So, Chad, I understand these storms are sweeping across the country. Where is the biggest threat right now? Yeah, this is not over. I know it's dark and storms are supposed to die after dark. That will not be the case tonight. That storm that Derek is on right now was on the ground likely for almost 80 miles as it crossed from Arkansas all the way to the east there, across and south of Memphis, Tennessee. This is the storm itself, all the way from Chicago, all the way down to Texas, still in this red zone, tornado watch boxes in effect. And you're thinking, come on, this has to be over. It's dark. It's getting cooler. No, because not much of the atmosphere was used up yet. Used up meaning, yeah, it's rained a lot up here. This is done. This will rain for much of the night, but the chance of severe weather is over, really. But in this zone through here into Illinois, Indiana, the zone here is not used up. That moisture, that humidity, that heat of the day is still there. And so these storms will rotate for much of the night. A tornado emergency on this storm right here, which means we know a tornado is on the ground. We can tell by the radar. We can look at the debris, the leaves and the sticks and the insulation that might be in the air. We can tell that that storm right now is still on the ground. And then south of Memphis, one storm cell moved here from about Tunica, just to the south of Memphis. And now another one has built up almost in its same path. So this is the event for tonight. You need to have some way of getting warnings if you're in that zone, because this will continue through the evening overnight hours, and you need to have something that'll wake you up. Tornado sirens are not made to wake you up. They're made to tell you if you're outside to go inside. They're not made to go through the walls in your windows and wake you up while you're sleeping in your bed. So you need to have something. The NOAA weather radio always worked, and now phones work just as well. There is what it will look like later on tonight. 
hour by hour as we move you through Columbus into Pittsburgh and yes, even into the northeast by morning. So there will be severe weather. There'll be warnings going off. There'll be tornadoes on the ground for much of the night. Allison. Okay, Chad, thank you very much for those warnings. All right, meanwhile, Gwyneth Paltrow won her ski crash trial. But what was it like being in that courtroom? Guys, we're about to find out because a member of the jury is going to join us and tell us all about it next. Was Gwyneth Paltrow at fault? No. Was Terry Sanderson at fault? Yes. Oscar-winning actress Gwyneth Paltrow is savoring her victory in the ski collision trial in a Utah classroom. But the retired optometrist who sued her says he's very disappointed by the outcome. The jury found Paltrow was not liable for the collision on a ski slope with Terry Sanderson. She had countersued, claiming that Sanderson plowed into her, and the jury agreed. And joining me now is Sam Imri, one of the jurors. Sam, thanks so much for your time tonight. So tell us, take us into the jury deliberation room. Like, how long did it take to, was, was everybody in agreement that she wasn't at fault, or did it take some convincing? We were all in agreement. So um, <laughs> it took us about two and a half hours, and it was a very interesting time. I think we had all waited two weeks to speak to each other. That's just crazy to see something and hear all this evidence and the law and then wait two weeks and finally get to talk to each other. It was it was really interesting to see we were all on the same page. But okay, so it took you two and a half hours. I mean what took so long if you got in there and you were all on the same page? That's a good point. Well there was nine questions. <laughs> so we had a lot to decide and, and it was really hard to say that Terry Sanderson was at fault because you know, it seems like just an accident, right? So I think that was probably the hardest part of it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think right off the bat, it made me, took us, I don't know, less less than 20 minutes to say that Gwyneth was not at fault. Hmm. And so was there a particular moment in the trial that convinced you? Was there some compelling evidence where you figured, okay, that's it's not her fault? I think her testimony really made sense. And, and I felt that she was telling the truth. Um, however, there was a lot of evidence provided. I mean, this is eight days of evidence. So I think hearing her expert witness, Dr. Schur, really brought it home for me, at least, um, to hear him validate that her version of the story was actually the most likely. And did, was there a moment where you ever thought, hmm, but she's a, an award-winning actress. Maybe she's, you know, bluffing. Absolutely. I mean, I had to keep that in the back of my mind. But then at the end of the day, you know, we have to treat everyone the same in the courtroom. And I think that's our job as the jury is to look at all these individuals and, um, you know, forget what they do for a living or anything like that and say this is a person and we have to treat them all equally. When you were called for jury duty, at what point did you realize, oh, I'm going to be on a jury with Gwyneth Paltrow as the defendant? When did that realization happen? I don't think I realized that until I actually got into the courtroom on the first day and saw her because when they said her name, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Somebody else would name their child Gwyneth Paltrow. Surely she's not in Summit County. That makes no sense. So I was pretty shocked. Yeah. Oh, I bet. That's amazing. And one last question. There, there was some talk about how Terry Sanderson's attorney seemed to be 
kind of taken with Gwyneth, like seemed to be asking her lots of sort of starstruck questions. Did you get that impression when you were in the jury box? It was interesting because that was the first female attorney to get on the stand. And so I couldn't tell if it was just because she was female or if it was because she was starstruck. And I I couldn't really tell, but there was some there was more light to that testimony than any of the other ones. And it it was pretty entertaining, I will say. Yeah, I bet. Um, Well, Sam, thank you very much. Thanks. I really appreciate you taking us inside there. I bet that was a fascinating eight days. Uh, So we've been watching and we really appreciate getting your perspective. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for being here. All right, I'm back with my panel now, uh, Mondaire, Essie, Joe, and Patrick. Yes. Can we get her to New York by Tuesday? (laughs) Our jury? Our jurist? Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. We have something going on. I liked just the way she talked about, you know, the jury doing their job. Yes, she needs to be on the grand jury. Going through the evidence. Trump grand jury. Yes, exactly. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I'm glad you two were entertained by this story. Brava to Sam, because it is so hard to take this trial seriously. And she did, obviously, as a juror. That's her job. But I'm going to put this out there. My husband will be very pleased that I am sharing his conspiracy theory. Oh, great. He believes that this was scripted and it's going to be a movie. (laughs) And we're all going to find out because the characters were so crazy and weird and um, eccentric. So we're going to find out there's a reality show that Gwyneth Paltrow is starring in. This is his theory. I disagree. They can get in a lot of trouble for that. A lot of legal trouble. Yes, yes, obviously. But he... (laughs) But it would be a fun plot. But it's so... Wild. The quotes were wild. Um, the both attorney, the you know, attorney. the attorneys. Next thing you're gonna know, wild. AI is gonna write the script, right? That's right. Or maybe yeah. the it's, next part. Or it's maybe the, it did already. Maybe it already did. Um, already, okay, but yeah. she was talking about Love the it. the uh, plaintiff's attorney, who we were wondering if she was starstruck. So let's just play a twenty seconds of this, so everybody can get this impression. You were wearing goggles, a helmet. Yes. Okay, kind of looked like everybody else on the slope. That's always my intention. Okay. Probably had a better ski outfit, though, I bet. I still have the same one. (laughs) May I ask how tall you are? I'm just under 5'10". Okay. I am so jealous. I think I'm shrinking, though. You and me both. I have to wear four-inch heels just to make it to 5'5". They're very nice. Well, thank you. I was yelling at him. Patrick, what's happening there? Uh, I mean, that's, that's just... A plus right there. I mean, that is just too good. I mean, talk about a performance right there. But you know what? In all seriousness, I mean, I give her credit for saying, you know, this is absurd, right? That this guy brought this case. For going this case. through with for, the trial. For going through settling. with it and just say, they had an accident on the ski slopes. I mean, come on. This happens all the time. And this guy had a, you know, then in, in between the time when the accident actually happened and he was supposed to have had all these issues, right? He's, he's hiking. He's zip lining. He's whitewater rafting. Uh, you know that was on his social media. So, but critically, his argument, he lost his taste in wine tasting. Right? I think that was one of the damages. Well, that was one of, okay. well excuse right, me. She that. also lost half a day of skiing. So please. <laughs> I just think yeah. at some point we're just going to stop calling things a hot mess, a whole mess. It's just going to be a whole goop. Right? It's just <laughs> that's, just just that's gonna be into new. perpetuity. Just it's a it's a goop. It's a goop. It's a goop. <laughs> <laughs> Call the day. I, yep. I, I don't know. Yeah, but I thought I that what, that attorney well, that was a tactic. I thought that was a strategy to, to do what her, to get her comfortable. Yeah. I've been deposed, and I've I've had attorneys 
try to sort of like soften you up. And I know you're a pro, Miss Cups, or you're used to this. And then they try to get you to relax. I think that's what she was, it was like. Something I, th- I thought it, I thought it was too. I mean, so and yeah. I've said this before. I, I thought that at least that's that was her original intention. Maybe that uh, clearly that wasn't how it was perceived by many people in America. <laughs> But my sense was she was trying to sort of not just disarm her, but but also to make it seem to the jury that this is actually someone who's an unusual woman, right? Because, you know, she's she's famous and she doesn't live the life that the rest of us live. And I thought that that was the angle she was trying. But, but it, it seemed in, to the contrary that she was just fawning over her, I think. Well, it's also that old theory, a half-truth is a whole lie. And it's like, see, Jacques, she won't even tell the truth about how tall she is, right? And so it becomes <laughs> she's a, a shrinking. Thing. That was his problem, in fact. He got caught lying about his height. The whole thing was crazy. Uh, Well, you guys have a lot to say about it, which I really appreciate. Thank you all very much. Okay, now to something much more serious. Big charges over the alleged importing of opioids into the U.S., which were disguised as chocolates, wedding favors, and makeup. And what might be the most shocking part of this story, the charges are against the executive director of a California police union. That story next. A disturbing story out of California. A woman is facing federal charges after allegedly importing fentanyl and other opioids from overseas and distributing them across the U.S. They were labeled as chocolates, wedding favors, and makeup. Here's the craziest part. The suspect is the executive director of a police union. Authorities allege 64-year-old Joanne Segovia, seen on your screen here, ordered thousands of synthetic opioids from countries including Hong Kong, India, and Singapore. Sokovia has been charged with an attempt to unlawfully import fentanyl. She faces a maximum sentence of 20 years. So, one, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about this. Uh, you know, dirty cop. I mean, she's not a cop, but she's the executive director of this police union. But also, Essie, she does not fit the stereotype of what we think of as fentanyl distributor. I mean, she's not a Mexican mule crossing the border illegally. She, as you said, looks like your grandma. In fact, she is a grandma. And... That layer of it for me is so hard to get over, that she has children and grandchildren. And this is such an epidemic. I mean, I worry that my kid's just going to find it on the street because you hear of that happening. You don't have to be a drug user to run into fentanyl and have an awful, sometimes fatal, deadly experience to, to be a mother and grandmother who is distributing this is really, really hard to stomach. Yeah, totally agree. Um, she faces a maximum of 20 years. That doesn't seem long enough. No. no. I, mean, I mean, for fentanyl, I mean, for what fentanyl no. is doing. Unfortunately, it's like an opportunistic crime, right? I mean, there's so much of yeah. this stuff around, and it's obviously a, a major problem in the country, a major epidemic. And this person saw this opportunity to make, make a quick buck. It's, unfortunately, stuff like this has been happening for a while. This is, this is just a horrible story. I just think that... Most people that die of a fentanyl overdose aren't trying to take fentanyl, right? These are these counterfeit prescription drugs, uh, things that are laced with fentanyl, and people are dying, right? And so we have all of these you know, unindicted co-conspirators who have allowed this to happen. And now for this woman, with her affiliation with law enforcement, to have that additional taint on the badge at a time when we need law enforcement to be the tip of the spear in our fight to prevent these needless fentanyl deaths, it's just, it's, it's sickening, it's heart-wrenching. There isn't enough time you can give somebody like that. And yet I think it speaks to just how deep and pernicious this crisis truly has become. Yeah. I mean, just the face, her being the face of this is kind of 
stunning. Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I mean, I think it also speaks to the fact that like, there is no industry, there is no profession in America that is immune to corruption, right? So like, we need to have an open mind as we try to root out corruption, whether it's in law enforcement or, or elsewhere in our society. And I think this is an example of that. And she's been doing it for a while. She's been doing this for years because I think that you make a lot of money. I don't think mm-hmm. it's just like a quick buck. Right. I think that you can make a lot of money. I mean, it seems like on a, I was thinking of Ozark. You know, I was thinking of some mm. sort of Hollywood. One of my favorite shows. By Doesn't the way. this feel like you I know, bet it's gonna be? I so do I. Yeah, because it's so. I mean, she had she had Atypical. access. It's like the fire chief being the arsonist. You know, yes. um, no one would suspect her, which is why I assume this went on as as long as it was able to. But I want the movie. I want to know how she was caught. I want to know how this happened. Um, because, you know, if, if, if she can do it, my God, it must be much, much easier for someone who's without all that scrutiny to do it, too. At I least think, 61 shipments. Be- <clears throat> Sorry, Allison. I think SE's becoming a movie producer now. I mean, she's got the <laughs> she Gwyneth story. She's got this one. I mean, what's next for you? <laughs> what's next for you, SE? Um, but my point was, at least 61 shipments, and the way that they were mailed to her, they were labeled wedding party favors, gift makeup, chocolate and sweets. I mean, it's amazing law enforcement, when law enforcement busts things but, like this. But also, like, five of those packages were intercepted and, and reviewed, right? And so how long did law enforcement know this was going on before they eventually said, okay, we gotta stop? Maybe they were waiting for her to lead them to a bigger fish. Well, I think yeah. also you gotta figure out in cases like that, even you go back to the Silk Road before they were officially shut down the dark web, right? You're trying to figure out is somebody just trying to send it to this unsuspecting victim and then going to leave it on the porch for somebody else to pick it up, or is that person intricately involved? And if so, how deep down the rabbit hole does this go? So and I who think, else was involved? And who else is involved? Okay. So either way, I think, again, uh, when you look at all the layers here, I mean, you talk about the Chinese Communist Party, you talk about what's happening on the southern border, and yet again, it's always sometimes even the grannies here stateside uh, who are helping to dream, dream, have this poison going into the drinking well society. Well, I, too, want to know more about it, so we will follow up and bring you more as we learn it. Meanwhile... Donald Trump's defenders claiming his indictment amounts to a political prosecution. But if and when this case goes to trial, will the legal facts undercut that argument? We're going to talk about it with my new panel. What? I know. Guys, I'm cheating on you. I'm bringing in a new panel for the next hour. I mean, you guys are great. But we're going to see what this, this panel, we're going to wow. see what this panel you can do. Donald Trump will be arraigned in a Manhattan criminal court on Tuesday. The grand jury's indictment of Trump in an alleged hush money scheme is still under seal. But sources tell CNN he faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud. My new panel is here with me. We got rid of those other sticks in the mud. We have LZ. LZ. Oh, sorry. One of them's still here. I'm still here. I can hear you. There's one stick left. There's one stick left. Uh, LZ Granderson, S.E. Cup, who's still here, thank goodness. Uh, Molly Jean-Fast and criminal defense attorney Sam Braverman. First, I want to bring in Texas Republican Congressman Pete Sessions. Congressman, thanks so much for your time tonight. Good evening. Delighted to be with you. And thank you, Allison. Great to have you here. So we've had 24 hours for this news to sink in. So what is your reaction to the indictment of former President Trump? I think the reaction that I gather from uh, many people here in Texas is, is this was a deliberate attempt that was uh, politically motivated 
to take what seemingly was a an old issue well past the statute of limitation that was a misdemeanor that's being made into a felony and that they're attempting to drive uh, what normal, I think people here in Texas believe is an attack equally on them and on the rule of law. And mm -hmm. I think it's an embarrassment and I think it will cause uh, a lot of people to come to the side of the president that might have been neutralized. Hmm. I do want to get to the repercussions, the political repercussions in a second. But since none of us knows what's in this 30, at least 30 count indictment, how can you know it's political? Well, from what we've been led to believe that this was from back in early 2000, perhaps four, that it was a part of uh, something that uh, Mr. Trump evidently is being accused of, but it's old news. But this is the, re the reason why we suppose this is true is because the district attorney, when he was running for, for election, he indicated this is what he would do. So I think we have to be honest about this. That's what people think. Well, here's something that I think refutes the political argument, and that is since taking office 15 months ago, the DA, Alvin Bragg, and his prosecutors have filed 117 counts of felony falsifying of business records, which we believe this is, against 29 different individuals and companies. So it's not as though he's singled out former President Trump. Perhaps that could be true. And as you suggest, we'll find out. But the news that comes out every day that has been seen was that that's why he ran for election and what he promised he would do. It was a get Donald Trump election effort. It was not a I'll go look at a whole bunch of different companies and find out what I see. It was a very specific, deliberate attempt that was pure and simple politics from the Democratic Party. Let me ask you this, Congressman, to help us understand this better. If you had found out that, say, Hillary Clinton in 2016 or Joe Biden in 2020 had paid, had allegedly paid hush money weeks before those elections, would you have thought, meh, old news? How about if we say that uh, Hunter Biden uh, had a laptop that was found where he was smoking crack and with prostitutes and had violated the law as we knew it and went on trips with his father uh, as vice president and went uh, as an official representative of the United States. And, and we were told it was fake news. And that so bothers you. No, hold on, Congressman. Hold on. I want, I, want to, I want to build on your point. And that bothers you, correct? It bothers me. So, but the, that so the idea that something recent. happened right be, and, and this hush money payment is was allegedly weeks before the 2016 election, not the incident, not that not the affair, as she's alleging the hush money payment. So why wouldn't that bother you? Well, it is a matter of fact, it does bother me. What bothers me is that there is someone running for office intended to make light of that. And we've known about that, and that was well known. And I think the president even acknowledged this, that that this effort did happen. And then they came out and said that it was uh, 
it was uh, a matter that was that was a private matter. So but that it was, was well only known. A, no, that was only after he was president. Before the th- nobody knew the three weeks beforehand or however many weeks before the election that that was money was paid. That came out yeah. afterwards once he was president. So so that does bother you. It does bother me. Every bit every bit of this bothers me. We want to see that our elected officials, including those who'd be president of the United States, to have a higher, what I would say, moral attitude about not only themselves, but how they deal with others. My point is, it does bother me. And this should bother people. Mm -hmm. But what bothers me even more is now that we know that he is a former president, and this is a political uh, shenanigan that is taking place and the man ran for district attorney off this issue. Yeah. And I think that that's a misuse of judgment. Well, I mean, we'll see. Again, we'll see as soon as we know more about what these counts are and what's in the indictment. How do you think, Congressman, that this will affect the 2024 presidential election? I think it does affect the election. I, I think that there was a good bit of what I would say questions about who the nominee would be whether that nominee would be Mr. Trump, whether he would be competitive. And I think that this draws a lot of people directly to not only Mr. Trump, but the understanding that this is is an apparent uh, abuse of power that we continue to see. This is not the Department of Justice. This is a district attorney. But a lot of people are concerned about what they see is abuses of power directly at Republicans and Mr. Trump. And so I think it draws uh, a a good bit of people who not only want to question that, but want to say, why is this such a big issue that they would go out of their way to run elections of getting Republicans? Congressman Pete Sessions, we really appreciate getting your perspective. Thanks so much for being here. You bet. Thanks, Allison. Okay, now I want to bring in my panel. Guys, thank you very much for being here. So, Sam, um, I know that you've written in the Wall Street Journal your thoughts about the strength of this case. Share them with us. Sure. So a couple of things. The easiest one of all is you file a false instrument. It's just either false or it's not false. So start with the basic premise of there. And then where do you go from there? There's offering a false instrument. There is filing a false instrument. But what does that mean, filing a false instrument? Well, if you file it with a public official, if you file it on behalf of a public official, if you file it in conjunction with a business or enterprise, each one of those are various oh, different Oh, so that's crimes. why you think that there could be 30 tr- different For every one. So, for example, let's say, for example, there are several payments that are made to Michael Cohen that are these, quote, unquote, legal fees. If each one of those is recorded as a legal fee, then each one of those instruments in which it's recorded is false. But in general, do you think that this is a strong or a weak case that the uh, attorney general is bringing? I am a very big believer. I like to see it when I see it. And then when I see it, I know what I got. Mm -hmm. So I would say from that perspective, the most useful thing is we'll see the indictment on Tuesday. Assuming it's not a standard indictment in New York County is just the elements of the offense. And it is not a long recitation of facts. It's not a talking indictment. It's not a talking indictment. Exactly right. I love that term. Isn't that great? You just envision this indictment saying, well, you know, (laughs) on a a Thursday, these things happen. Uh, So if you set that aside, then we're going to get into discovery. And I have no doubt that uh, some of the lawyers in this case will play this case very much in the press. And when do you think this would go to trial? Uh, What year are we interested in? Well, we're in 2023 right now. I would say 
your average case of this size would go to trial in 2024 fall. So you're talking about 18 months from now. That time it would have now. To, it would have <laughs> that to rings leap. a bell. There's something else yeah. happening. Yes, I know. I mean, I'm not quite sure what else it is. Baseball starts. <laughs> <laughs> the end of baseball season. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that happen in this. I mean, because this drops into a into a, a list of cases, and there are you know 6,000 other indictments floating around in Manhattan that need a home. All of which are people who are sitting in jail or accused of other crimes or have victims who are waiting for justice. All of which should go first. In the meantime, obviously, there's a lot happening this coming week um, with former President Trump uh, having to go to the Manhattan uh, criminal court and be arraigned. Um, Stormy Daniels, I want to talk about her for a second and how she's dealing with all this because she doesn't go quietly. You know, she has never just wanted to fade, like fade away. She has fought this. And so today she, first of all, talked about how it's been great for her merchandise sales. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, thank you to everyone for your support and love. I have so many messages coming in that I can't respond. I also don't want to spill my champagne. Um, Team Stormy merch autograph orders are pouring into. Thank you. It'll take a few extra days for shipment. Okay, so so she still has her, you know, bravado with Mm -hmm. all of this as she has the whole time. However, she did talk about how the threats against her have um, become even, if you can believe it, more toxic. So listen to what she had to say. The first time it was like, gold digger, sluts, whore, you know, liar, whatever. And this time it's like, I'm going to murder you. It's especially scary because... Trump himself is inciting violence and encouraging it and getting away with it. Molly? It's scary. And she's been through a lot. And she's, you know, she's been taken advantage of by a lot of different people, too, who were supposed she was supposed to be able to trust. She's had a very tough time. I'm I mean, good for her for selling merchandise, honestly. But yeah, and she probably has to pay for security. And it's everybody's nightmare. And these people, when they go after you, it's really scary. And we've seen real-world violence happen, like what happened on January 6th. So, LZ, your thoughts there? It, it seems, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems as if this is some sort of witness, like intimidation or witness tampering. I mean, this is an ongoing investigation. Trump was just indicted. So if these strangers are here trying to intimidate her in some fashion, it seems as if they could be held accountable. Isn't no? that just called online toxicity? Yeah, trolling. Trolling? I mean, I nowadays? Mean, if she's not involved with the trial that's high-profile like this, I mean, it seems as if... The comments that are being made to her, particularly those that are say, I'm going to kill you, it seems as if they're trying to deter her from an involvement in this case during an ongoing investigation, which I would assume is against the law. Absolutely. Can you imagine it doesn't go much farther than I'm going to murder you if you talk, right. if you continue this, if you do anything. And every one of those would be a crime. It'd be, in fact, a federal crime. And you can imagine at some point that she has United States Marshals protecting her, and he's got United States Secret Service protecting her. <laughs> and the courtroom just looks like an ATF convention. I think it says a lot that <clears throat> whether you're a member of the media that has taken on Donald Trump or, you know, one of his many accusers, anyone sort of in the line of fire, I mean, I've gotten death threats. Everyone at this table has maybe gotten a death threat for saying something about this Guy, And there's a reason for that. He stokes that um, and encourages it and gives that comfort. And he's done that since before he was even elected. Remember, he was going around Mm. saying, go ahead, protest, Um, get mad. I'll cover your your legal fees. Knock these guys out at at his rallies. And he's never been Um, held responsible for that. No, he hasn't. And so this culture of intimidation and threats and violence is something he very purposefully 
stoked and conditioned this environment for moments like this. Another person who's getting death threats is Alvin Bragg, the DA. And one of the things, Molly, as you know, that they keep doing is trying to link him to George Soros. So George right. Soros is the you know universal boogeyman for a lot of people on the right. And they say that Alvin Bragg was uh, supported by him. They the, the truth is the two have never met. They've never communicated. They've never spoken on the phone. However, George Soros did give to a PAC that is a sort of social justice PAC that contributed some money to right. many different campaigns. One of them was Alvin Bragg's. Yes. And I, as a Jew, I've, I've sat in horror and watched these Trump supporters say, like, Trump is good for the Jews. Trump loves the Jews. And then you have people like Trump invoking anti-Semitic tropes, right? You're bringing up George Soros and you see the pictures. There have been a lot of, you know, uh, social media stuff with the pictures of George Soros looking terrifying and very, you know, scary. And it's absolutely, you know, if you are invoking anti-Semitic tropes, you're an anti-Semite. And that's what's happening here. And, you know, you're going to see, we've seen Trump before invoke anti-Semitic tropes, and we've seen consequences that have happened in synagogues. And it's very scary to me. Friends, thank you very much. I appreciate all your perspectives. We have to get to this story. Russian authorities have detained an American reporter from the Wall Street Journal and accused him of spying. We have the very latest on the case for you next. The Wall Street Journal is speaking out tonight about their reporter, Evan Gershkovich, who was arrested in Russia on espionage charges. He's in a prison in Moscow, a very notorious prison, uh, one that ha has always had a, since the Soviet times, has had a very bad reputation and still has. But we haven't been able to reach him. We haven't been able to get any messages to him. And we certainly haven't heard anything from him. That's terrifying. It is terrifying. It's very, it's very unsettling. It's particularly un upsetting for his parents, who really, what they want to hear is some sort of reassurance that he's not being mistreated. I want to bring in Jonathan Franks of the Bring Our Families Home campaign. He worked to get Trevor Reed released from a Russian prison last year. My panel is also back with me. Um, let me start with you, Jonathan. So uh, you, you have uh, worked in this very dicey field. Tell us what your thoughts are about the situation tonight. Well, first of all, I feel for his parents. I feel for him, obviously. I mean, it, uh, short of taking a diplomat, I mean, there's no more audacious type of hostage taking than taking a reporter. And I think um, it, it, it is a reflection of, you know, frustration uh, within the Russian government at, at how things are going in the war. Um, you know, uh, frustration with the United States doing a, a pretty decent job rounding up Russian criminals. And, you know, apparently, you know, they have lost a lot of spies recently. I read a report about that today. So I think that this is a sort of a combination of attention seeking and tit for tat on their part. And it's it's shameful. Yeah. And I mean, it's obviously, as you say, so incredibly anxiety provoking for his family. Where do you begin in terms of trying to get an American out of detention? I think you start by opening a conversation. And if the U.S. government won't do that, there are others who do, Governor Richardson among them. Um, you know, as Diane Foley pointed out earlier this week, I mean, it's really hard to bring people home if we're not talking to the people that are holding our people. Mm -hmm. I want to have my panel uh, come in and they can ask you questions as well. 
Patrick, your thoughts as you listen to this? Well, I mean, we've seen this, obviously, with Paul Whalen, who's still there. And then there was a Brittany Griner, the basketball player, who thankfully was able to get returned. And it, to me, and, and, and maybe it's not a coincidence that they just had their summit with China, okay, that they're, it, Russia's doubling down on basically being excommunicated from the rest, Western world, essentially. And, and this is highly troubling because you don't see any way that this is going to stop. They're just they're going to keep doing stuff like this as long as there are people. And we were just discussing in the break, like there are actually reporters going there. Like who would go there now? I mean, I realize these people are trying to do their job. Yeah, but and it's we do pretty need scary. People. I mean, yeah. it is scary, of course. But reporters often, as we all know, put themselves in harm's way because we need the story from what's going on inside of Russia, particularly because they're taking Ukrainian children and they're doing all mm-hmm. sorts of things. So they're doing, you know, incredible work, Herculean work. But it's really dangerous. It feels like it's getting more dangerous, and it is, obviously, for journalists. I'm curious to know what the next steps are that the American government should be doing. Yeah. So, Jonathan, what are those? I think there needs to be a dialogue opened um, uh, with the Russian government. That can be a little hard. Uh, but we've proven repeatedly with Trevor Reed, then Brittany Griner and Taylor Dudley, um, all in the past 365 days, that it is, in fact, possible to have a dialogue with the Russians over prisoners and to resolve those cases, you know, expeditiously. It just we have to decide to resolve them. And it's always been my experience that when the U.S. government really wants to resolve one of these cases, it gets resolved. And does it get resolved, Jonathan, through a prisoner swap? I... It certainly has been the pattern recently, right? I wouldn't want to speculate as this would be the one time that they would want something different. But, you know, one can assume that they may be looking for another prisoner swap. Um, I think it's important to point out Putin could have expelled journalists from Russia. He chose to take this one. And I, I, I just want to note something that my colleague Jason Rezaian wrote at the Washington Post. We know Jason was... Um, himself uh, a prisoner um, in Iran, tried on erroneous espionage charges. He warns um, in in this piece that the way we're framing it by repeating Russian talking points, saying charged with spying, is kind of being Putin's stenographer. It's a really interesting thing because as journalists, we want to say, well, here's what is happening. Here's what Russia is saying. And he's cautioning that that creates this impression that there might be some probable cause there. And it's really, it's it's a lie. And 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 Jason says, he is a hostage until proven otherwise. And that's what I think we all need to remember as we talk about this story. That is such a, a, a smart point because yeah. Americans keep forgetting we're in war. Yeah. It's a proxy war, yeah. but it's a war nonetheless. And in war... They're hostages. Yes. I'm not sure <laughs> that many right. people are giving Putin the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, no, I think we the do assumption. Say, I mean, like, just because yeah. we're journalists, we right. do say he's being accused of espionage. Like, you're saying don't even say that. That's what Jason's yeah. point is. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of that. I'm a journalist. Of course I would want to say that. His point is to lead with it. Mm-hmm. Of course you include it as you get there. But to lead with it really does, I think, imprint in some people's mind, well, maybe there's something there and we should find out. His point is there's nothing there. And he is a hostage until proven otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And go ahead. And and if I can if if I can add to it, I I mean, it would be wonderful to, to have that lead be, you know, there is absolutely no evidence he engaged in espionage whatsoever. Right. right. That would be a good lead uh, in a way to report the news because there is none. And I saw one piece that I thought was really smart in the journal uh, saying that one of his, you know, 
uh, I guess, greatest crimes or whatever w- was loving the place that took him hostage. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuck with me. That's been true of many of my clients. Jonathan, you were saying that if the you know, U.S. government won't engage, that you, know, you, you all know what to do. But why wouldn't the U.S. government engage on this? I am. I, I'm not sure that they're not. Um, I'm, I'm saying that, um, let's put it this way, when I've had clients in the past, those clients have worked with Governor Richardson, and, and, and that's not by accident. Because he has a tra- track record of success. He has a track record of success and a willingness to actually do stuff as opposed to thinking of, you know, of, of reasons not to do stuff, if that makes sense. Um, it, it, you know, he, he is frequently on the front lines, willing to have conversations and meetings that no one else will. Jonathan Franks, we really appreciate your expertise in this. Thank you for letting us know what's going on there. It's really a worrisome story, obviously, that we will stay on. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. Okay, so from the Trump indictment to the Gwyneth Paltrow trial, it's been quite a week in news. It's been quite a month, I should say, in the news uh, that's been squashed into a week. Um, Have you been paying attention to everything that's happened? Well, we're going to quiz the panel on what they know about this news cycle. But before that, CNN's presentation of HBO's Overtime with Bill Maher right after this. All right, now let's turn it over to our friends at HBO. Every Friday after Real Time with Bill Maher, Bill and his guests answer viewer questions, and they bring their unique perspectives to the topics that are driving the national conversation. And we're excited to bring you this lively discussion first every Friday night. So here is Overtime with Bill Maher. Hello, CNN. We're back here with Tablet Magazine columnist and author of Secret City, Jamie Kerchick, Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Winsome Earl Sears, and the Republican Governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. Quite a lineup here tonight. And people want to know these questions that they write in. Okay, this is for Governor Sununu. What do you make of Biden's decision to make South Carolina the first Democratic primary? Right, now you're Governor of, of New Hampshire. That was always, and still is the Republican first. No, and the Democrat. I'm sorry, Joe, we're going first. I don't care what the, Dem- the Democrat Party doesn't dictate who goes first. The state of New Hampshire does. No, but that, no, I'm not saying that. The, the Democrat changed theirs. No, they didn't. They didn't? So the Democrats tried, but New Hampshire's Democrat primary will still go first. Because again, our oh. law says we're going to go first. And this is Biden's real problem because he's left a huge opening for someone to come into New Hampshire, uh, campaign there strong with some name ID and, uh, and, and charge through, essentially. By the way, uh, South Carolina doesn't have a first-in-the-nation primary. They, they, they dictate, Trump didn't have one in 20. They just said Trump's the winner. So Biden has effectively moved the first-in-the-nation, tried to move it from New Hampshire to a state that won't even hold it. They'll just say, you're the incumbent, you're the winner. So it's actually a horrible miscalculation on his part. Okay. But I'm sorry, Joe, we're going first. Well, okay, now... <laughs> No, you announced on our show tonight that you're running for president. So I know. I, well, oh, again, it's, all, it's about the indictment. Let's, I mean, see, let's see what I mean, happens. Let's see what happens. Essence, in essence, he did. It did not in so many words. But it, 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 I did? Well, My wife is, is texting me as we speak. Okay. Say it ain't so. But New Hampshire, I mean, that's a wash for you because you're from New Hampshire. So that primary is meaningless for you because if you don't win it, then, oh, my God, you can't even win your home state. And that's if you do problem. win it, it means nothing. 
No, no. If you win, it won't. If I were to win New Hampshire, it would be you're not you didn't win by enough. And if you lose it, you're totally toast. It's right. actually a disadvantage. I, I'm saying. Yeah. 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 OK. Now for you, Lieutenant Governor Sears, what's a realistic way to approach immigration reform? Heavens, how about doing it the right way and doing it the legal way? I mean, my dad had to wait in line, wait his turn, sign all kinds of documents, prove who he was. I mean, you've got to know who's coming into the country. We are a nation of laws. And if he had to do it, everybody's got to do it. That's the law. I'm oh, sorry. OK. Anybody? No, don't apologize. That's the right answer. You nailed it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not apologizing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Governor Sununu, should we, doing, we be doing more to secure our northern border to prevent, northern underline, to prevent the trafficking of drugs? Yeah. And Canadians. What? And Canadians. And Canadians. They're very dangerous. So a uh, northern border crossing is up 800%. I, yeah. Nor- 800 percent? 800, hundreds of thousands in, the, in just the last quarter we're, uh, from Canada. Yeah, so we're doing kind of our part. A lot of the states are open. It's a very unprotected border. But it's nothing like the southern border, of course. But, yeah, you have to protect the northern border as well. Canada has agreements with about five different countries. You don't even need visas. Uh, I think Honduras, El Salvador, they fly to Canada, and then they walk across. We have them walking across through the woods in New Hampshire. Now, of course, our the- longest border is with Canada. Yeah. Another critique of your state as, as a primary state is that it's not diverse. So it doesn't really look not like, diverse. Look look like we, America. We have the highest voter turnout in the country. South Carolina's diversity? Uh, look, South Carolina has about 15% voter turnout. What's the point of diversity if you don't let anybody vote, if nobody comes out to participate? We have rich, we have poor, we have black, we have white. It doesn't matter. Everyone in New Hampshire participates in the process. Well, I mean... I'll, take, I'll put my diversity against I, South Carolinas any day when you actually look at who's actually voting and participating. I, the only black you have there is a bear. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, you, it's a very white state. No, no. Oh, sure, of course. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. But I'm just saying, but that's... that's but isn't that, it about who participates? To... Isn't it about actually having a primary? Like I said, the Democrats likely aren't even going to hold the primary in South Carolina. So what's the point of diversity if you don't let people participate? I mean, they say that we, well, we subvert the vote by asking people for an ID. They subvert the vote by not even letting them show up. I mean, that's the reality I, 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 you're, you're facing we, here. So that's why we're the best at the first of the nation primary. I'm, the high voter participation, the voter turnout, local control. And here's the most important part. I can't help you, Bill. I'm from Massachusetts. I'm not following this argument. But I'm, from Massachusetts. I'm from Massachusetts, and we, we used to refer to New Hampshire as Kentucky and New England. So that's... <laughs> really? Really? Coming from Massachusetts, give me a break. Why, why is New Hampshire the fastest growing yeah, state in the Northeast? That's Come on. not fair. That's not Come on. I didn't say I agreed with it. It's just, that was what we used to say. <laughs> Andy Bashir is now texting right. me. Governor Bashir is texting me, okay. figuring out what that comment meant. Speaking of peak Caucasian, um, <laughs> perfect segue for this question. Why was the public so captivated by Gwyneth Paltrow's trial this week? Does the... <laughs> Does the panel think justice was served? Does the panel it was care? He said, she said. Yeah, I mean, really. Uh, you well, know, you two know rich what? people fighting it out. You know, I'm not in that. Here's the only. Go ahead. He was an orthodontist, if I'm not mistaken. Optometrist. Optometrist. Retired, other, oh. retired optometrist. Okay. 
Meaning? Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> you were like Perry Mason. I have the evidence and then nothing. What's the significance well, of that? Say if he was, ah, he if, was an optometrist. I think an, that says it all. What? If he was an orthodontist, I had terrible memories of orthodontistry as a, as a teenager, like, like many of us have had. I, I, and I would have sided with her instinctively on that. But he wasn't well, an orthodontist, so it doesn't matter. I think, I, I think she was inspired by Johnny Depp in the... No, in this way. Johnny Depp was just not going to take it. He was like, now, we don't know what goes on in a marriage, although actually we do know what went on in that marriage because they testified to it in court. You cut off my finger. You shit in the bed. You know, okay. Oh, marriage. It sounds great. Anyway, um, but I, th- I think Gwyneth was the same thing. She was like, this was only cost her $300,000. She's worth millions. She could have just paid it off. And she said, I am not going to let a guy just hold me up. I'm going to fight it. I'm, uh, you know, we just can't have this situ- situation yeah. in this country, which we do have, where people can accuse you of anything, and it's just easier to pay off. She said, I don't care if it's just $1. Well, well that's assuming she didn't do it. I mean, who knows what happened? There was no video. You know, we're a video society. But they're skiing. Exactly. Not- I mean, I don't know. Who knows One what happened? One of them happened? glided into the other. Yeah, that's they what we know. into each and other. somebody it's- sued somebody else. So- this is America. We right. sue, and then we see what happens. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. This is where I'll give Gwen a lot of credit. Do you see after the verdict came down, she went over, pat him on the shoulder and said, I wish you well. I wish you That's well. a boss move. That, that is. is a boss move on her part. Because it well, basically says, nice try. Yeah. Yeah. It, when you win, it's easy yeah. to do. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to be nice. I, when mean, you win. I, I mean, I've never understood. She got her dollar. Skiing. You know, I, I would never ski. What a stupid sport. You know, you're freezing. Oh, here we go. Here we go. No? Well, you know, you're freezing. he's got more snow Ooh, than we tell do, you so let him yeah. Look, I, I, last week I was it. shoveling my walkway, and, and it, I got excited. I came out to California, and you right. have a whole different flavor of snowflake out here, so I'm oh. dealing with that. But, but you got to get used to the snow and the skiing. I'll bring, I'll bring you skiing sometime. He was he's, preparing that one. I was just going to say, he's no, definitely <laughs> running for president. <laughs> Are you kidding? He's even got the comedy writers working. Snowflakes jokes. I'm going out to California. Speaking of which, another great segue, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced that he plans, oh yeah, I read this, to travel to states where freedom is most under attack. I don't know. Would would this strategy help Democrats? I I, I, I don't know about A few years ago, the California legislature banned state money going to travel to states that had so-called anti-LGBTQ laws. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't have the sports teams. You couldn't have state officials going to other states that had controversial laws. And just a couple days ago, one of the leading legislators who supported this said, it's not working. Yeah. And we have to repeal this because there's too much business going on across the country. We have to travel, and it would lead to a civil war. I mean, if you can't and, even... And we're also making it very personal. You remember the civil war, what it was called, the war between the right. states? Yeah. We're making it very personal between states. Like, your state is... You mean New Hampshire? Is kind of, I'm not sure where you're going. Right, it's kind of purple now, right? I mean, it's... A little more red than purple, but yeah, we always get I mean, stuff done. Yeah. Right, I mean... Yeah. Well, here's but, the thing. He's talking about freedom, less states that are less free. Isn't he the guy who told everybody they had to stay home during COVID? And then he exactly. went to some lobbyist dinner with, what, 25 of his best yeah. friends? So they were yeah. hanging out, having a good time. This was the I number mean, one lockdown state. That's a truth. Does he have a mirror? Oh, yes, he does, because we've seen his hair. <laughs> 
Ooh, yeah. Gavin, the yeah. knives are out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he makes you know, it easy. He I mean, makes it easy. Come, come, Take care of yes. your own house before yeah, you start talking I mean, about other people. Okay, he owned that. He shouldn't have gone out that That's night. Right. He, uh, okay. he shouldn't have locked okay. down his state. Yeah. Um, yeah. Among, he, the, among the political peccadilloes, I, I put it about thousandth down on the list. It wasn't, it wasn't his finest moment, but really, come on. If, if that's all you got on him... No, how about the oh, schools? No, how about the millions okay. of kids okay. that didn't get back to school? Uh, how about the businesses that were closed? If you really I'm want to go your, there, you send his wife, you know, I, with the I kids not, to Florida. I'm so, I am, so that's I mean, not, I mean, really. the list I, on Gavin is quite long. I, I, okay. Yeah. I, you have okay. time? Put it this no, way. No, no, Republicans I, would I, love to run against Gavin. We would love it. It's a Serena Sears ticket is being formed here No, no, no. Remember, I can't run. Time. Before anybody says anything about Im- immigration again, remember, I wasn't born here. So, so you can't run? No, I can't. It's, oh, and then it's the new tomorrow. And that's there why you're so <laughs> delightfully honest. Well, I thank you all for being here. Got to go. Time for a commercial. <laughs> thank you very much, Bill. And you can watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights on HBO at 10 p.m. And then watch Overtime right here on CNN Friday nights at 1130. And we'll be right back with our news quiz. Okay, everybody, it's Friday night. You know what that means? You know what that means? It's news quiz time. Let's see what you and my panelists know about this week's news stories. Now, my first question, I have to admit, Governor Sununu just provided a spoiler. He just gave away the answer, but maybe maybe you guys weren't listening. Maybe you were deep in conversation. Here we go. What did Gwyneth Paltrow say to the plaintiff, Teresa Anderson, after she won in her ski collision case in court? A, I wish you well. B, see you on the slopes. Or C, bless your heart. One, two, three. Oh. You all uh, got easy. it. We okay. Gwyneth yeah. said, I wish yeah. you well. And he said, thank you, dear. Thank you, dear. Oh, yeah. Nice. If, if those two kids can get along, everybody can. Okay, moving on. This week, 33 people were referred to law enforcement for A, stealing flowers from the White House lawn, B, plotting a protest at a Florida school board meeting, or C, harassing dolphins in Hawaii. One, two, three. It's C. How <laughs> 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 did you watch the news? No, I, no. the I, I didn't hear about the dolphins. That makes sense. I was too Patrick. busy studying up on Trump. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> don't now, don't turn over your thing until oh, I say sorry. one, two, three. Sorry, okay. It's very hard. Moving on. Moving on. Jennifer Aniston says a whole generation now finds friends no. A, offensive, <laughs> B, relatable, C, unwatchable. One, two, three. Oh. No. <laughs> all three. It's all, no, that's good. It's three. all of them. That's good. It's, all it's offensive. I kind of relate to it, but it still is unwatchable. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, next. The food dinner experience, spelled F-U-D-E with an umlaut, <laughs> is unusual in that, A, the entire dinner is conducted in the dark, B, all the diners are nude, or C, the dinner includes a foot massage. One, two, three. I don't, I can't. Come on, get, I, you I, have to guess. Right. 
Oh, no, only S.E. and Patrick know in the nude. There we go. All of the diners are the nude. nude. Yes. Food and nude. Is there an ID check before you go in? Isn't that, I, I, you're having the Where reaction that a lot of people had. Like, hot soup is also served. Oh. oh. <laughs> Don't don't get the wasabi. Don't now, get the wasabi. Now, um, I hope that's not a bathroom. Like, Ma- no one's allowed to use the restaurant. That's, oh. that's really gross. That's just, um, Molly, <laughs> wait, you have dinner parties. Are they nude? <laughs> no? what, what did they I will do? Be. All right, they will well, be now. Consider it. <laughs> they will not. All right, just consider it. Um, okay, moving on. All right, we have time. Uh, one iguana's taste for what left a young girl with a mysterious malady? A, oranges. B, cake. Sea grass. What did the iguana want to eat? One, two, three. Mm, yes, yes, cake. The iguana wanted yes. cake. Oh, and yes. bit the girl. Yes. Oh. Bit the girl. Bit the girl meant she got a bacterial yep. infection on her hand. But they, oh. they cured it with antibiotics. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, jeez. What happened to the cake? <laughs> and, and, and this was by the ocean. They were eating cake. Oh, Alice. I mean, they really were. Oh, Alice. It's on the beach. Right. <laughs> uh, so, guys, uh, what were our totals? I really need, I need some. I was three score. for four. You did pretty good. I was three for four. Three hey. for four? Yes, yeah. I might have gotten yep. two. I got the one wrong. The oh, so you're nude. three for four, too? Yeah, three for okay. four. Okay. Okay, guys. Smart group here. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you very much. You can now go on with your weekend. Who needs Happy Friday, Friday night, night lights? We got Friday night quiz. And here. we'll be right back. <laughs> Last December, Nellie Chaboy was voted CNN Hero of the Year for her efforts to break intergenerational poverty by bringing computer science, technology, and education to rural Africa. Since taking center stage at the star-studded event, she's jumped into action. This week, we take you inside her special night and back home to Kenya as she shares the global award and its impact with her students and community. The 2022 CNN Hero of the Year is Nelly Nelly Chaboy. You can only imagine like how crazy it was when I was named the CNN Hero of the Year. I thought I was like, I'm about to fall down. I look at the audience, you know, and it was my mom screaming back at me. Like most women that come before her, they die in poverty. Like that's all they know, poverty. I don't think it can get any bigger than that. It was really heartwarming to see that the work was bigger than me now. We also congratulate Nelly Cheboy. The president of Kenya congratulated me, talked about Techlet. It has become a household name. In Kenya, everyone knows that we are teaching kids computer skills. What I'm really excited about is a future in Kenya and in the rest of the continent where kids are going to be learning about the tech world. There's hope. Like, poverty is an expiration date, right? When you are growing up in poverty, you think of yourself as less than. I knew just how powerful the kids celebrating this award was. I wanted to turn that into like, hey, yes, this can happen for you too, yes. What a story. To see Nellie's full update, go to CNNHeroes.com. And while you're there, nominate a hero of your own. Thanks so much for watching tonight, everyone. Our coverage continues now.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.